We all need to laugh. We choose truth over facts. And now for a perpetual political protest in progress. Judge my physical mental suit, my physical as well as my mental suit fitness. Coffee time. Oh my goodness, can you feel that strong breeze on your face and see the light at the end of the tunnel? This is uh, going to be episode number 13, Lucky 13, uh, in the 14-chapter book and 14-episode uh, special, uh, uh, I guess, uh, delivery of David Ignell's book on the Alaska Grand Jury. And oh my goodness, man, this... If we were uh, a news station, how would we pick the stories to report on this week? Uh, we've already touched on the uh, the bombshell, uh, earth-shattering uh, new order coming down from our supreme uh, masters on high at the uh, Supreme Court of Alaska, uh, telling us, no, you can't indict public officials. No, you can't uh, ask questions about uh, concerning matters uh, w dealing with the uh, public officials who have done you wrong. No, that, that must go through our gatekeeper, the attorney general. And only the wise sage who is appointed by the governor to that position and affirmed by the legislature will be a, a, a available, maybe, if it fits his agenda, to hear your complaints and possibly, perhaps, not likely, uh, give you an audience with the grand jury. But, but oh, by the way, the grand jury can't hand down an indictment. And also, by the way, I'm sure they'll pull this out, precedence shows that uh, they have to be careful what they report if and when they do find something through an investigation that might be concerning. So uh, that's big news. The other big news is uh, all the rhinos, eight Republican senators, decided to caucus with the Democrats and give the Democrats, in effect, control of the Senate, even though the Republicans outnumber the Democrats and hold a majority and uh, isn't it interesting to see how the 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 uh, the rats are running around now? Because almost immediately, at least the folks in the Matsu responded to Mr. David Wilson and said, "Oh no, no, good sir, uh, we don't appreciate you lying to our face and telling us that you're one of us, and then turning around and stabbing us in the back." And they have censured him, and now they've invited him to a town hall. This one ought to be good, folks. I'm sure Jeff Landfield with the Alaska Landmine will be on site with his camera rolling. And, uh, you know, Jeff doesn't always say stuff that I agree with, but I do value his presence and uh, the ability to watch the videos that he shoots. Uh, he seems to be relatively fair-handed on some things, and... Uh, but, uh, you know, he's like some of us that uh, just uh, got tired of seeing what was going on and decided to try and make a difference. I believe he ran for office at one point, which I did as well. Uh, but uh, I'm not sure, so sure how serious his campaign was. 
Mine was an opportunity just to grab the bully pulpit and sit next to all of the pompous... Hmm, I'll leave the rest of the word out because this is a kid's show. Uh, but uh, the pompous folks up there on the dais and, and go uh, shoulder to shoulder with them and then say things that made them feel uncomfortable. But today we've got David Ignell back in the, the house. And David, uh, I was struggling with my internet this morning. I have not one, but two modems provided by uh, ACS, Alaska Communication Services. Uh, I think that they should rename themselves Alaska Miscommunication Services because I pay a lot of money and I don't get the service that I pay for with those folks. But we're back up and running now, and uh, we welcome you back. I know that uh, we've only got two chapters left, and these should be good ones. Yeah, no, we are uh, we are coming to the end here. We're on the we're on the downhill, so. Um... Uh, it's just, uh, it's great to be at this point where, um, you know, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna wrap this thing up and, um, you know, I, I know that we can both use the time to, uh, you know, we have a lot of things that, uh, you know, that, that are on our plates that we need to continue working on. So, uh, uh, I just hope that, um, you know, by, by doing this audio book and, and our discussions both before and after the, uh, the episodes that, uh, the citizens of Alaska are getting more educated about what their rights are and the importance of the uh, of the grand jury and and just those words of John Hellenthal back in 1956. The grand jury can investigate anything. Well, I'm hoping that they'll get mad, that they'll just get so doggone upset that it will uh, jar them into action, into civil action. And they will uh, go to their neighbors and their friends and their pastors and their uh, fellow church congregants, their co-workers, their employer, and say, we have to make a stand. Uh, and, and you know, that, that uh, thing that we wrote, read yesterday um, from the gentleman from Prager about uh, standing on truth, that we must not capitulate uh, to the liars and the lies that they weave and spend. And we must not uh, uh, remain silent when they say black is white, white is black, and uh, girls are boys and boys are girls. And what is truth? Truth is relative. It can be whatever you want it to be so long as you have enough money to back it up and power and position. Uh, that's not the America I was born into, and it's not the one I want to die in. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the walls are uh, the walls are closing in. I think a lot of people can feel that, um, and uh, you know, we've we've let that happen. And uh, you know, we need to become better organized. Uh, you know, people who believe in liberty and justice—that's uh, what you know. We've we've talked about that in our pledge of allegiance, and so we need to um, you know all come together on this and. Uh, uh, stop this, uh, you know, stop this before it goes too far. And uh, the grand jury is is how we're going to accomplish that in a, in a peaceful way. That's right. Well, I look forward to it, sir. If you want to just jump into your sort of recap of last chapter and bring us up to speed, it's kind of like those episodes on TV where you get to see little snapshots of the previous episode so that you're refreshed. Yeah, so you know the last, uh, I guess the uh, the last two or three 
uh, episodes, we, we focused on uh, the events uh, from 1985 to 1990 uh, with the Alaska Grand Jury, uh, starting with the Sheffield investigation uh, and uh, concluding with its, its uh, recommendation to impeach the governor. And uh, we've seen how, um, you know, the Alaska Senate, the politicians uh, want to cover for themselves and other politicians. And uh, so they made recommendations to the Alaska Judicial Council to, you know, hey, how can we uh, do a constitutional amendment here to uh, curb the reporting power of the Alaska Grand Jury? And uh, so the Judicial Council looked at this and you know, it's very controversial how they, you know, we've covered how, how their work was very controversial and, and spanned out over like three years. Uh, there was probably a lot going on behind the scenes. And uh, they init- they eventually recommended some rules off the off the federal system. And, uh, you know, we, we've seen how, you know, those, those federal rules have been, you know, severely criticized uh, by uh, you know, professors and, and, uh, scholars, but, you know, that's what they recommended. And, and the, uh, the Alaska Supreme Court went ahead and adopted them, uh, in a three to two vote. And, uh, and then we saw, uh, you know, how in the last chapter, we saw how, uh, this all played out in a 1990 case in Anchorage, uh, where the, the Alaska Supreme Court in another three to two decision, uh, suppressed the truth um from the from the Alaska citizens right before some municipal elections in in in, in Anchorage so uh we we've made it through that um and now in chapter 13 today um we're going to look at uh, we're going to look at the grand jury handbooks that are put out by the Alaska court system the chapter will look at how initial versions of the handbook emphasize the grand jury's independence then we'll look at uh, the suppression of that independence in the current versions. Um, the chapter will conclude with a long quote from uh, Lord Summers. Uh, if you remember, uh, chapter one of my book was uh, to basically covering uh, uh, Lord Summers' treatise in, in detail. And uh, I've chosen to uh, conclude chapter 13 with a rather long quote from Lord Summers. Uh, I did this because of the importance of it. Uh, The quote addresses the duties that are inherent in the oath taken by grand jurors. And as we saw in chapter one, uh, the oath that Englishmen took 500 years ago uh, is basically the same oath that uh, Alaska grand jurors take today by statute. Um, So I I just felt that... uh, you know, Lord Summers' view on this is is so important uh, that uh, today's grand jurors in Alaska need to need to grasp what he was saying, and uh, you know, carry out their their investigations uh, accordingly. So, um, unless you have anything further, Jason, I will uh, start here with uh, Chapter Thirteen. I would say go ahead and jump right into it. I'm on pins and needles. I this is uh, what we've been waiting for to see uh, really the that there is a there there, and um, that uh, there's some definitely some motivation behind what the Supreme Court did this week, uh, because they they really don't want us to see behind the curtain. No, and and what they did uh, what they did this week. 
uh, we will see how, um, you know, obviously I didn't know this when I wrote the book, but uh, what they did this last week uh, goes directly against uh, the what what the initial grand juror handbook said. So without further ado, uh, chapter 13 is entitled Alaska Courts System Revise Their Handbook to Downplay the Grand Jury's Independence. In addition to the Alaska court system's assault on the Alaska grand jury through controversial rules and Supreme Court decisions, perhaps just as damaging is its failure to properly educate Alaska citizens about their duties and powers under the common law. Since statehood, the ACS, that's the Alaska court system, has provided grand jurors with an instructional guide of their powers and duties called the Alaska Grand Jury Handbook, referred to as the Handbook. The first edition of the Handbook in 1962 did a commendable job of emphasizing to grand jurors their independence and many of their common law powers. Since then, the Handbook has undergone a radical transformation, which has either removed or reduced the prominence of several of those previously addressed powers. In discussing federal grand juries, Mr. Buckwald, and there's a note here, that's uh, one of the people we, we talked about at the end of Chapter 12. Uh, Mr. Buckwald noted the significant negative impact that occurred when citizens serving on them are not properly educated by government officials. Quote, presumably, grand juries stopped investigating on their own and writing reports because they did not know they had this common law power. It was never abolished by federal statute, but today grand jurors remain ignorant of their power and limit their role to considering charges put forward by the federal prosecutor. In fact, the standard charge judges give to a new federal grand jury does not advise them of their power to investigate and issue reports. Furthermore, there is no explanation of this reporting power in the Handbook for Federal Grand Jurors, which grand jurors receive during orientation to acquaint themselves with their duties and responsibilities. Instead, there is the following statement in the Handbook that would dissuade a grand jury from investigating anything without the federal prosecutor's blessing, unquote. Today, most Alaskan grand jurors likely have a lower level of understanding of their duties and powers than our previous generations and founders did. There may be extremely few grand jurors who understand the common law duty in their oath to thoroughly investigate matters in the manner laid out by Lord Summers in Chapter 1. The disturbing truth that some Alaska prosecutors could probably convince some grand jurors to indict a ham sandwich is borne out by a review of the transcript of Mr. Jack's first grand jury indictment. The prosecutors used completely leading questions of the witnesses and suppressed exonerating evidence that the grand jurors could have inquired about. Had the grand jurors been familiar with Huna and its residents, they would have recognized there were major holes in the prosecutor's pitch. However, before a Juno grand jury, the prosecutors likely knew they could get away with an unconstitutional indictment because grand jurors have not been properly educated on the type of investigation their oaths require. The 1962 handbook 
informed grand jurors of the important role they played in keeping the government in check. Sadly, today that is no longer the case. The 2019 version of the handbook essentially represents a 180-degree turnaround. It instructs grand jurors that the prosecutor is in control, and the jurors must be careful to shut their eyes and cover their ears to the world around them. The individual worldly experience of each grand juror is being washed out of the process, replaced by a framework controlled by government officials. Moreover, the 2019 handbook attempts to limit the rest of the public from accessing the grand jury to consider grievances against the government. The 1962 handbook left little doubt that the grand jurors were an independent body in complete charge of the proceedings. The printed guidelines were suggestive. What the grand jury, grand jury quote, should, unquote, do, not what it must or shall do. The district attorney was only an advisor, but the 1962 handbook warned that even the best of advisors are sometimes in error. The grand jury could investigate crimes or other matters brought to its attention by individual jurors or by private citizens. While it might be wise to consult with the district attorney on these matters, it wasn't mandatory. The following excerpts from the 1962 handbook highlight the Alaska grand jury's independence. Number one, in time of peace, no citizen can perform a higher duty than that of grand jury service. No body of citizens exercises public functions more vital to the administration of law and order. Number two, the importance of its powers is emphasized by the fact that it is an independent body answerable to no one except the court itself. Number three, not only in theory, but in actual historical fact, the importance of the grand jury has been demonstrated. This power of the grand jury to protect the citizens from the despotic abuse of power has been repeatedly exerted, not only in England, but in this country, even before the Declaration of Independence. Number four, in connection with criminal indictments, generally the grand jury hears only the evidence presented by the district attorney. But when it has reason to believe that other evidence within reach will explain away the charge, the grand jury should order such evidence be produced, and for that purpose may require the district attorney to issue process for witnesses. Number five, charges of crime may be brought to your attention in several ways. First, by the court. Second, by the district attorney. Third, from your own personal knowledge or from matters properly bought, brought to your personal attention. Fourth, by private citizens heard by the grand jury in formal session with the grand jury's consent. As to matters brought to your attention in numbers three and four above, emanating directly or indirectly from the grand jury itself, it would be wisest to consult with the district attorney or the court in advance of undertaking a formal investigation by the grand jury, although this is not mandatory. In any event, you will generally have to consult with, consult with them in the end if the grand jury decides that a person should be preceded against criminally in order to obtain aid in drafting the proper form 
of indictment. Item number six. In order that the grand jurors may be may not be subjected to partisan secret influences, no one has the right to approach an individual member of the grand jury in order to persuade him that a certain indictment should or should not be found. Any such individual should be referred to the district attorney in order that he may be heard by the grand jury as a whole. On the other hand, a citizen is at liberty to apply to the grand jury for permission to appear before it in order to suggest or urge that a certain situation should be investigated by it. Item number seven. In addition to the duty of the grand jury to hear evidence and decide whether formal criminal charges should be proceeded with, the grand jury has the additional important duty of making investigations on its own initiative, which it can thereafter report to the court. Thus, a grand jury may investigate how officials are conducting conducting their public trust, and make investigations as to the proper conduct of public institutions, such as prisons and courts of justice. This gives it the power to inspect such institutions, and if desired, to call before them those in charge of their operations, and other persons who can testify in that regard. If, as a result of such investigation, the grand jury finds that an improper condition exists, it may recommend a remedy, unquote. As the footnotes for each of the above clauses indicates, the foregoing instructions appeared in the first four pages of the text in the 1962 handbook. The critical importance of their duty, their complete independence from the prosecutor, the real risk of despotic government in this country, the ability to ask for additional evidence that will explain away the charge, the ability to alert other grand jurors as to evidence or circumstance, and the option to investigate without the court's or prosecutor's prior blessing, and the right of citizens to apply directly to the grand jury to be heard. All of these important functions of the Alaska grand jury were disclosed up front and center to Alaskan grand jurors in 1962. The 1962 handbook clearly portrayed the district attorney as an advisor and warn grand jurors that even the best of them will sometimes be in error. The 1962 handbook specified that grand jurors must be independent and express their opinions. In other words, the 1962 handbook was telling grand jurors they needed to think for themselves. Point number one, quoted. Since the district attorney is a public official, usually of experience in this work and of both intelligence and sincerity, he will naturally be the constant legal advisor to the grand jury. However, the best of advisors are sometimes in error. Thus, if a difference of opinion arises between him and the grand jury, the matter should be brought before the presiding judge for his ruling. Point number two, wait until the district attorney has finished ordinarily before asking questions of a witness. It usually happens that the evidence you are seeking will be brought out. Be independent, but not obstinate. Be absolutely fair. You are acting as a judge. Express your opinion, but don't be dicta dictatorial. Uh, sorry. Every juror has a right to his own opinion. And point number three. When considering un undertaking any special investigation, it is wise to consult the district attorney beforehand so that he may arrange routine business accordingly 
and advise you as to other matters bearing on such investigation. End of point number three. The 2019 edition evidences a substantial change somewhere along the way in the mindset of the Alaska court system officials responsible for educating grand jurors. The introduction is silent about the grand jury's critical important investigative function. It isn't until page 12 that the handbook mentions the grand jury's power to investigate and make recommendations concerning the public welfare or safety, deferring further explanation of that power until page 24. It downplays the grand jury's independence in launching, launching investigations on its own initiative or that of private citizens. Following the lead of the AJC's 1987 report that criticized this important power on the authority of Mr. Frankel. When the 2019 handbook finally gets around to explaining the grand jury's investigating powers, it states, quote, generally, grand jury investigations are initiated by the district attorney. They can also be initiated by the presiding judge or by members of the grand jury, unquote. This language represents a notable departure from the 1962 handbook which instructed grand jurors that they had the, quote, additional important duty of making investigations on their own initiative, unquote. The 2019 handbook also curtails the important ability of citizens to appeal directly to the grand jury. The 1962 handbook expressly stated, quote, a citizen is at liberty to apply to the grand jury for permission to appear before it in order to suggest or urge that a certain situation should be investigated by it, unquote. The 2019 version makes the prosecutor the gatekeeper for citizen inquiries, quote, prosecutors also sometimes receive letters from the public addressed to the grand jury requesting investigations. In these situations, the prosecutor will probably conduct a preliminary investigation and make a recommendation to the grand jury about whether to take action, unquote. The 2019 handbook attempts to make the prosecutor the gatekeeper of the information the grand jury can consider and discourages them from considering information coming from outside the courtroom. The introduction states, quote, a grand jury hears evidence only from the prosecutor, unquote. Page seven tells grand jurors, A, they can't conduct any independent research, B, must avoid news reports that might mention criminal activity, and C, must decide the case based solely on the evidence presented in the grand jury room. These purported limitations are way out of bounds when compared to the common law powers outlined by Lord Summers and the historical function of the Alaska grand jury. Such limitations also cut against the clearly expressed concerns of many constitutional convention delegates who spoke of their awareness that prosecutors will sometimes omit important evidence. The original 1962 handbook was in sync with the express will of the delegates. It stated, quote, when it has reason to believe that other evidence within reach will explain away the charge, the grand jury should order such evidence to be produced. And for that purpose, may require the district attorney to issue process for witnesses, unquote. The 1962 handbook later reiterated this power, quote, indeed, the grand jury itself may insist on the calling of additional witnesses, unquote. 
1962 handbook gave members of the public the, the right to persuade the Alaska grand jury as a whole whether a person should or shouldn't be indicted. It was only concerned with, quote, partisan secret influences, unquote, instructing that no one had a right to approach an individual grand juror to persuade him on a matter of indictment. It was only in that situation where such a person should be referred to the district attorney in order that he may be heard by the grand jury as a whole. The prosecutor had no right to limit who or what the grand juries, the grand jurors heard. Any citizen could freely approach the entire panel of the grand jury without any interference from the prosecutor. Page 16 of the 2019 handbook attempts to restrict a grand juror with knowledge of a defendant or a case from telling other jurors about it without taking the witness stand. To support this assertion, the 2019 handbook twists around the language of Alaska statute of Alaska statute 12.40.040, which states that an indictment can't be found upon a statement of a grand juror without that juror being sworn and examined as a witness. The statute naturally ap- applies in a case where there is no other evidence upon which an indictment can be found. To suggest that a grand juror can't share information with other grand jurors that might lead to other witnesses being called has absolutely no basis. Under common law, grand jurors have a duty to obtain information and share it with the group so that the truth can be best ascertained. The 2019 handbook promotes this dangerous limitation on the common law power of grand juries even further. At page 23, It states that if a grand juror accidentally hears something about the case, he or she should tell the prosecutor without the other grand jurors present. The handbook then asserts the prosecutor can unilaterally decide whether the grand juror should be disqualified. The willingness of the Alaska court system to give prosecutors this kind of power over the grand jury is bewildering and suggests a coordinated attempt by the Alaska court system and the Department of Law to erase the independence of the grand jury developed centuries ago. The 2019 handbook downplays the ability of of the grand jury to call in a defendant to testify. The introduction states, quote, a grand jury hears evidence only from the prosecution, unquote. Page 15 reinforces this theme by stating, quote, the grand jurors only hear the prosecutor's side of the case and not the defendant's, unquote while page 19 emphasizes the defendant will not be present. It is not until page 20 that the 2019 handbook finally admits the grand jury has the right to call the defendant to testify. The 1962 handbook was much more upfront on the ability of the grand jury to offer this opportunity to the accused. The 2019 handbook states that a grand juror who knows the defendant would most likely be excused for cause from hearing that case. The 1962 handbook contained no such limitation, and under the common law documented by Lord Summers, it was expected and hoped that some of the grand jurors would be knowledgeable of some aspects of the, of the case. The 1962 handbook specifically allowed a grand juror to consider criminal charges from their own personal knowledge and further instructed that consulting with the district attorney or the court was not mandatory. If a grand juror had reason to believe that an accused person is innocent, he or she should be at liberty to share that valuable information 
with the other grand jurors. For the reader's convenience, an excerpt from Lord Summers' treatise, appearing earlier in Chapter 1, is repeated below because of its importance in outlining the type of independent investigation required by grand juries. A comparison of Lord Summers' highly authoritative work to the, to the 2019 handbook demonstrates that today, Alaska grand jurors are being grossly misinformed about the duties inherent in their oath. Quote, Their express oath binds them to be diligent in their inquiries, that is, to receive no suggestion of any crime for truth without examining all the circumstances about it that fall within their knowledge. They ought to, be, they ought to consider the first informers and inquire as far as they can into their aims and pretenses in their prosecutions. If revenge or gain should appear to be their ends, there ought to be the greater suspicion of the truth of their accusations. Next, the, the jury are bound to inquire into the matters themselves, whereof any man is accused as to the time, place, and all other circumstances of the fact alleged. There have been false informers that have suggested things impossible. The jury ought also to inquire after the witnesses, their condition and quality, their fame and reputation, their means of subsistence, and the occasion whereby the facts, whereof they bear witness, came to their knowledge. Neither may the jury lawfully omit to inquire concerning the parties accused of their quality, reputation, and the manner of their conversation, with many other circumstances, from whence they may be greatly helped to make right inferences of the falsehood or truth of the crimes whereof any man shall be accused. The jury ought to be ignorant of nothing whereof they can inquire, or to be informed, that may in their understandings enable them to make a true presentment or indictment of the matters before them. Tis certainly inconsistent with their oaths to shut their ears against any lawful man that can tell them anything relating unto a crime in question before them. No man will believe, nor can they themselves think, that they desire to find and present the truth of a fact if they shall refuse to hear any man who shall pretend such knowledge of it or such material circumstances as may be useful to discover it. Whether that which shall be said by the pretenders will answer the jury's expectations must rest in their judgments when they have heard them. It seems, therefore, from the words of the oath, that there is no bound or limit set, save their own understanding or conscience, to restrain them to any number or sort of persons of whom they are bound to inquire. They ought first and principally to inquire of one another mutually. What knowledge each of them hath of any matters in question before them? The law presumes that some, at least, of so many sufficient men of a county must know or have heard of all notable things done there against the public peace. For that end, the juries are by the law to be of the neighborhood to the place where the crimes are committed. If the parties and the facts whereof they are accused be known to the jury or any of them, their own knowledge will supply the room of many witnesses. Next, they ought to inquire of all such witnesses as the prosecutors will produce against the accused. They are bound to examine all fully and prudently to the best of their skill. As for the better discovery of the truth of any fact in question, the credit of the witnesses and the value of the, of the testimonies, it is the duty of the grand inquest to be well informed concerning the parties indicted, 
of their usual residence, their estates, and manner of living, their companions and friends with whom they are accustomed to converse, such knowledge being necessary to make a good judgment upon most accusations, but most of all in suspicions or indictments of secret treasons or treasonable words, where the accusers can be of no credit, if it be altogether incredible that such things as they testify should come to their knowledge, unquote. Citizens serving on the Alaska Grand Jury need to be properly educated. Appropriate and massive changes to the handbook to bring it into compliance with common law and the Alaska Constitution are needed immediately. End of chapter 13. So as we said before, there are certain powers and forces and people who definitely do not want us to see behind the curtain. And they've, you know, it's, it's not like this has happened overnight. It's an incremental march into oblivion, into apathy, into uh, ignorance. Because as you said before, um, the generations before ours were likely to have more completely understood the, um, the idea of what a grand jury was and the, the function it served. But the dumbing down of America, as it has been uh, over the last you know, several decades, has not been without consequence. And so we find ourselves at this, this position now, looking around, not liking what we're seeing, and wondering how we got here. And right now is a time for champions. Right now is a time for courageous people who will sacrifice their reputation, sacrifice their estate if necessarily, necessary, sacrifice some of their leisure time, and make the pursuit of truth their passion. Make the pursuit of truth their leisure. And... Um, through that pursuit, shine a light on the dark places in our system, in our society that have been allowed far too long to grow uh, unhindered. And, um, you know, when a weed grows in your garden, do you just look at it and say, oh, a weed? Well, it's probably not a big deal because I've got a large garden and it's just such a small weed. But over time, without tending of that garden and that those weeds being pulled or trimmed back or managed uh, in some form, the garden becomes a field of weeds and there's nothing left to harvest. And so uh, this, uh, this series has been profound and uh, we have one more episode to go, but uh, I again challenge the listeners what are you doing about the erosion of our system? Because it is to each of us uh, that we're responsible for the condition of our, of our community. And uh, if we run around crying and complaining and pointing fingers, and I have to tell you, David, I, I have more than a few people who come into the shop all saying the same thing, all dismayed with the state of the state in our community, in their nation, and the world in general. And each of them I challenge. And I say, 
why don't you do this? And I'll give them an X, Y, or Z of you know possible courses of action that they could take. And generally, with few exceptions, they shrug it off and say, I don't have time. And uh, for my part, the podcast is what I'm doing about it. Uh, and hosting community meetings and opening our venue here for folks to gather and organize. And, um, you know, any worthy effort that comes along our, our way and that we become aware of, uh, if people inquire with us about support and it's something that supports traditional values, conservative thought, um, the preservation of the, the republic, we're going to be 110% behind that and do whatever we can within our limited means to help. But it can't just be people like me and you. It has to be our listeners. Our listeners have to take up the torch of truth and they have to help spread the fire of knowledge. Yeah, Jason, um, you know, Absolutely. Um, you know, one, one thing I, I slightly, you know, that I, you know, have a different take on that, that you first started on was, uh, you know, you, you, you talk about how, you know, we, we have left, left the, uh, uh, you know, un, unlike maybe prior generations before us, we have, um, you know, let the, um, the, the, the grand jury's prominence, uh, lapse. And, um, you know, my in, in in putting together this book, there there was a common theme, and and you see this theme back in Lord Summers when he's you know writing about the history of the grand jury five six hundred years ago. Is you know when when things are going good for people, uh, they they don't tend to they they tend to forget you know what got them to that place in you know the first place, and um, uh, so we you know throughout history you see where where the grand jury. Uh, you know, kind of goes into demise because people just, you know, they don't pay a whole lot of attention to it because they don't need to think things are, things are good. And so the grand jury goes into decline and then people start seeing the walls close in and they go, wait a minute, you know, we need to restore this grand jury and they do. So uh, what we're facing in Alaska today is, uh, you know, has, has repeated itself uh, throughout history, you know, many, many times. And, and, you know the grand jury has been able to recover and and come out on top, but but it but you're absolutely right that it takes you know two people can't do it, you know five people can't do it, twenty people can't do it, um, and there is great precedent that has been set. You know we've talked about this uh, you know on you know various occasions on this podcast is the people of Kenai. There have been people, you know I was talking to David Haig this morning and and he talked about the people who were willing to go sit down on the floor of the Kenai courthouse to make a statement. And because, you know, there were sufficient numbers of people who were willing to do that, uh, the court system caved. And I told David, yeah, that, that reminds me of the protests of the seventies. You know, this is how we got out of the Vietnam war because people were, you know, you, you think of that Chinaman, you know, in Tiananmen square a couple decades ago, stood up to the tank and you know, it's, it's, it's images like that 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 produce change and so yes absolutely uh people need to get engaged uh they need to start calling and writing emails to um uh you know to their to their elected representatives 
they need to start holding these town hall meetings like you talked about at the beginning of the podcast, where if they feel that they've been deceived by the representations of an elected represent, representative, that they, you know, call them out, call them in front of them and say, look, you know, what's going on here? And so people need to, to get engaged. And, and, you know, the other thing to keep in mind is, you know, you look at the last 40 years of, of Alaska, you know, we got all this oil money. You know, oil, the oil money changed everything, and we just had billions of dollars of it floating in. And, you know, everyone was, was, was living, you know, most everyone was living a pretty good life uh, off of that. And, uh, uh, you know, government, especially government, you know, look at how they grew. And now government wants to continue feeding itself, and the oil uh, revenues are, are declining. And so now the government is coming after the people. For to, to fund itself, and we, we we saw that six years ago in uh, Walker's veto of the permanent fund dividend, and now how the legislature has managed to get their hands on that, which is wrong. And uh, you know, with with respect to tyranny, uh, we're we're hearing more and more cases of of you know people you know people whose lives have been destroyed by government tyranny, whether it's uh, a wrongful arrests and convictions. Uh, breaking down doors or taking children away, and so we've got this—we've got this big hungry government now that wants more and more of the people. It's grown—you know—it's grown out of control, and the only way—and and the legislature is part of that. And so the only way we're going to get this back to 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 order is through the grand jury. I, I just don't see any other way. So. In light of the recent uh, order by the Supreme Court, I know that uh, you've been asked to weigh in on that. Can you give us a little snapshot of what to expect and where we might see those comments? Yes. Um, so I'm, uh, I'm finishing up, hopefully, today. I, I started this morning an opinion piece that I'm going to uh, publish in uh, – that, that Suzanne Downing will publish in Must Read Alaska, and this is going to cover my um, my letter to the governor uh, requesting the resignation of Treg Taylor as the Attorney General. Uh, so I'm uh, I'm hoping to get that in today, uh, and then I'm going to start on uh, I'm I'm going to I'm going to do a, a one or two page uh, summary of this recent court order, and you know as as I'm thinking about it, I, I think you know I, I may direct it on. Uh, towards the uh, towards the grand jury investigation that was requested by Thomas Garber in Anchorage. You know, there was supposed to be a hearing on the 14th. And uh, because of the Supreme Court order, the judge in Anchorage, uh, Morris, uh, he vacated the hearing. And this is a critical investigation. I mean, you know, we've talked about this and Jason, you and I about the OCS and the troubles there and and the, the problems that were identified by Representative Tammy Wilson of North Pole back in 2015 and how that, you know, I still don't know the details and I want to find out. But, uh, you know, she requested a grand jury investigation. And then somehow the, the Alaska State Ombudsman ended up doing the investigation. And while they focused on the... Uh, uh, they focused on the symptoms, but not on the cause, which, which Tammy Wilson identified as, as, you know, money and, and, uh, OCS, you know, they're, they, for them, 
uh, children, uh, you know, appear to be an industry. And the more children they can get, the more power they get. And that's what needs to be looked at by the grand jury. And the the Supreme Court just stopped that investigation dead in its tracks. Well, I find and, I find it interesting. I want to want to touch on that really quickly because in the national news, we are hearing about the uh, DHS uh, Department of Homeland Security and uh, the uh, um, Department of Mental Health and Social Services uh, uh, have been allegedly placing migrant children into the hands of human traffickers and uh, have been doing so with knowledge that the children are going to places that are unsavory. And, um, you know, it, this, uh, this has been something that has been voiced in Alaska as well, that uh, these kids that go into the system don't always end up in wholesome places. And, and even in the past, we've seen um, judges and, and foster parents and other people that have been wrapped up in uh, the abuse of children. And, and the, the state presumes to make the statement that they are a better parent than people, than, than, than the actual biological parents, when they take custody of their children. And so there's a very high standard that they need to be meeting in order to justifiably take that position to say that they can provide safety where no, no other safety exists. But then uh, those kids that are harmed in the system, once they enter it, uh, there's no recourse for them. Generally at 18, the door doesn't hit them on their way out as they're dropped on the street. And um, it, it's a travesty to see and, and, it's definitely something that the, the grand jury uh, needs to look at. But, uh, you know, I find it curious that the Supreme Court decided to make this decision on the heels of this push to really investigate OCS. I mean, David Haig's thing, yeah, that's been in the news for a long time. Uh, Mr. Jack's thing, you know, you've been raising awareness about that. But these really, these are these are individuals and individual circumstances. But uh, and yes, there was a system of corruption that um, created these circumstances for these individuals. But this case that was going to be uh, uh, this this uh, request for a grand jury in in Anchorage concerning OCS, that was something bigger. That was an indictment uh, on the state for not one crime, but for a series of crime, a system of crime, a criminal enterprise, as it were. And, uh, you know, the thing I learned when I worked in the bureaucracy, and we've discussed this before, is that through team decision-making, which is a model that uh, OCS uses uh, to sort of make their choices in case planning and case management and removals and reunification and all these different fancy terms that they use, but... That system, uh, while philosophically may seem great because it means no one person has all the power, it also is a two-edged sword because it means no one person is accountable. And when there's no accountability, uh, evil has a place to grow because evil likes the shadows. Evil likes the margins, the gray areas where nothing is absolute. And... uh, so this this situation is is uh, I, I hope that people are taking note. 
I hope that people are becoming more concerned. And I don't want to leave this episode without some kind of call to action. So I'll, I'll throw that ball over to you first, and I've got my own thoughts on, on what that could look like. But what do you think people should be doing right now, David? Well, you know, I'm going to leave that. Uh, you know, I, I would refer that over to Thomas Garber. Um, you know, this, this is his, um, you know, this is his vision, uh, his, his, you know, blood, sweat and tears, if you want. Uh, you know, I, I talked to Thomas for the first time yesterday or the day before, and he told me a little bit about his story. I mean, you, you, you talk, you know, some of the things you just said, Jason, I mean, uh, uh, you know, the OCS took his uh, kid away when he was 17 and a half years old, um, got him, uh, you know, addicted on some drugs, uh, and, uh, recommended that the, uh, you know, the wife divorce him, you know, his wife divorce him. So all these, you know, goals and policies about OCS, you know, they say on paper, it's to keep the family together, you know, according to the story that Mr. Garber was telling me that definitely wasn't the case. And then six months later, as you said, Jason, he turned 18 and they dropped him out on the street. And, um, uh, you know, the, the son, uh, you know, took it upon himself to, to, uh, get himself off the drugs, which I think took about a year and he's doing well. He's 27 years old today. And, uh, he's, uh, I think in the Academy to become a police officer back on the East coast. Um, but you know, the, the, the things that Mr. Garber saw happen to his family, uh, touched off a fuse as it has with, uh, David Haig and, and it has with myself and it has with you and Bob Bird and, you know, so many of us, uh, uh, throughout Alaska. And, um, so, you know, he's, he's become an advocate, uh, for a grand jury investigation into the OCS. And there was another individual from the Kenai, uh, Ray Southwell, um, who, who tried to get a, uh, grand jury investigation of the OCS in Kenai, uh, back in 2019. And, and, uh, in fact, we have, I have plans to, to talk with Mr. Southwell, uh, later, uh, today after the show. And, uh, so, uh, you know, as far as the call to action, um, you know, my part in this I see is to, uh, is to make, you know, I, I didn't, you know, I, I wanted to know why the grand jury shuffled this off to a state agency and then the state agency, while, while they did a pretty good job identifying the symptoms and they certainly, uh, you know, they, they, um, um, they supported what uh, Representative Wilson was saying. You know, they they uh, verified what she had to say. But, you know, the story just kind of ends like, you know, there was 35 instances or up to 35 instances where the ombudsman uh, reported that uh, OCS employees may have lied to judges. So you know, what happened to those 35, you know, they didn't do anything about those 35 cases. They didn't report on them. Uh, they, they reported on one where they talked about one particular social worker that repeatedly misled the judge. Um, you know, I think Tammy was, Tammy Wilson was saying, you know, lies and, and the ombudsman, uh, you know, they, they said misled. Well, you know, is, is that something that should be prosecuted? I mean, we get back to this whole issue of deterrence. You know, how do we deter false allegations in court? And it's holding people accountable. And it doesn't seem to me, 
that there was any accountability for OCS employees who violated the law and who lied to judges. So, you know, that's where I want to, that's one direction I want to see the, the grand jury investigation go into. Uh, another angle I want to see it in is, is what, again, what Tammy Wilson brought out. She talked about the financial incentive that the state of Alaska gets from the federal government to take more kids under their umbrella, you know, and, and uh, it's more money, it's more power. And this is one of the things I think the state is reluctant to get into. I mean, I remember um, I was writing something else. Uh, I was researching this a couple of years ago. I remember looking at the Indian Child Welfare Act and how it was playing out in southeast Alaska. And one of the tribes there, um, you know, was, was you know, applying to, to be a, um, involved in the, uh, uh, you know, child enforcement for uh, child custody matters throughout the country. And the state was really repugnant to that. But then the, I think it was the finance, someone in the state of Alaska finance said, look, if we don't do this, it's going to cost us $80 million. And so they, they passed, you know, they, they allowed uh, Clinkett Haida Central Council in, in Juneau to, to get involved in child enforcement orders. And so, you know, we, we, we know how much the, the state loves money, right? You know, they, they, they've grown into this, this big behemoth that, uh, you know, it, it's feeding the machine. And so how much of this stuff going on with OCS is all because of money? Is that the root of this evil? And that's what I'd like to see a grand jury investigate. Uh, so, you know, how, how we go about that, I know that Thomas plans on appealing this order that, you know, where, where the judge in Anchorage uh, vacated uh, the hearing, he plans on appealing that, and he'll have to take that to the Alaska Supreme Court. And, you know, I, I don't, exp- you know, to me, that's a, that's a waste of time. I don't think the Alaska support or the Alaska Supreme Court is, is going to, uh, you know, undo their new order. Um, but, you know, it's something that Thomas feels uh, uh, committed to. And, and, you know, I, I, I support him in, in what he feels is, is right. And it just is, it's one more thing where the Alaska Supreme Court puts itself out on a limb and uh, ventures out on the thin ice. And, uh, you know, he's also plans on taking up his cause with the attorney general. And so, you know, I, I encourage him in that. You know, again, I, I think with the attorney general, with this particular attorney general who's, you know, who's put, uh, you know, allowed conflicted lawyers to advise grand juries. I, I don't, you know, De- Einstein said the, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. So for that reason, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't approach the, um, the attorney general. But, you know, Mr. Garber feels that this is the right way to do things. And so I, I support him in, in what he's doing. And I, but I think, I think eventually, um, you know, the people, there's so many families that have been, um, that have been harmed by the OCS. And I know that there's a lot of families who are afraid to speak up because they're still in the system and they afraid, they're afraid if they speak up that, uh, you know, they're, they're, um, uh, you know, they're, they're going to get retaliated against. So this, this is another reason for a grand jury investigation uh, so that these things can, you know, the witnesses can come in in, in private um, and, and, you know, state their things. And, you know, I'm, I'm thinking my next book is, is going to be maybe on the OCS 
and, and, you know, calling for a grand jury investigation of that, you know, hopefully the, the investigation will, will happen sooner, but, uh, you know, I can write about some of these stories using synonyms and, and not using the name of the people. And, and, uh, so, you know, it, it's a big task, Jason, as you know, and as you've been telling me, but it's something that we absolutely necess- you know, positively have to have to tackle. Well, I would encourage people as a course of action to contact your newly elected or reelected senator or House representative or both uh, and let them know what you feel about the Supreme Court's recent order and its legislation, as it were, from the bench. That you contact the attorney general's office and you let him know. That you contact the court itself and you let it know. That you contact the governor's office and let him know. Because the court is not an island unto itself. It is dependent on the other two branches of government. And without a purse and without enforcement, it is a toothless bulldog i guess uh or dragon and uh fierce looking but inept and so it's without the or it's with the support of those two other branches that it really finds its power and so we have to hold those other two brown branches accountable to perform their duty as separate powers and checks and balances against this kind of activism and the court's pattern of seeking to erode the rights of the people. The courts are supposed to are supposed to weigh in on the constitutionality of documents created by the other two branches. They're not supposed to create the documents themselves. They're supposed to render opinions. And in the creation of this rule, they're not rendering an opinion they're creating a, an edict. And I wanted to, uh, to take the last uh, few seconds here to kind of close this episode with a poem that I think is, uh, is timely. It's by uh, a... Uh, and, and, and Jason, uh, before you start the poem, because I know you're probably going to start the music, but if yeah. I can just add one thing in, in, in furtherance of what you said. I think it's right for, I think it's great advice to urge listeners to contact, contact their elected re- representatives. But one thing they should, th- this, this order, this recent order by the Supreme Court should be the final nail in their coffin for a constitutional amendment this year, this session, to change the way we select our judges. And hopefully that listeners will, will when they contact their elected representatives, because it's going to take a, a two-thirds vote in both the Senate and the House to pass this constitutional amendment. And so to urge their, um, their elected representatives to join a, um, you know, uh, join in with their other, you know, legislators to, to pass, you know, this recommendation for a constitutional amendment that can then be taken to a majority vote of the people. Right. The other thing that you can do is you can call David or David or uh, the other gentleman uh, in Anchorage. What is what's his name again? The uh, Thomas Thomas Garber. Thomas Garber. And, and I hope that you will. Yeah, I hope that you will have him on your show soon. Yeah. Uh, he's got a very compelling story to tell. So you can you can reach out to these folks, and you know they're pretty much doing the heavy lifting on their own. 
I know that David Haig has had some support from locals, but but really, all the legwork's being being done by these three gentlemen, and that's no small task. And there's only so many hours in the day that they can devote to this. And so, if you have your own story, or you have resources, financial, or time, or knowledge, uh, connections, networks, you know people, that's all valuable. You know, as we talked about in the Anderson case uh, earlier this week, Mr. Anderson has gotten some traction with some very big players. And uh, there will be, his story will be breaking likely here uh, soon. And uh, part of the preparation for that story, and, and when I say breaking, I mean on a national level, um, through his connections, he was able to, to connect with somebody who uh, requested uh, documents through the Freedom of Information process. And just the fact that that person started requesting documentation seems to have a corollary um, connection to the resignation of the city manager here in Soldatna. And so just asking questions, the right questions being asked by the right people can put the fear of God into the people who have done wrong because they do not at all costs want to be exposed. And um, they know what will happen if they get exposed. And so uh, we continue to build the pressure. We continue to, to uh, hammer out the um, sound of truth and tell anyone who will listen. And um, we want to just thank you again for tuning in to the Ammo Can Coffee Social Club Conservative Hour of Power and Enlightenment Salon and we really ask you to consider supporting this platform by sharing and liking all of our episodes, passing those on to your friends and family, colleagues, uh, and your circle of influence, and bring your stories to this platform because many people out there have a story to tell and no platform from which to tell it. So without further ado, I'm going to go ahead and uh, I've picked out a poem by Alfred Noyes that I think is, uh, is appropriate to close the show out with. Stand like a beaten anvil when thy dream is laid upon thee. Golden from the fire, flinch not, though heavily through that furnace gleam the black forge hammers fall on thy desire. Demonic Giants round thee seem to loom, tis but the world smiths heaving to and fro. Stand like a beaten anvil, take the doom. Their ponderous weapons deal thee blow on blow. Needful to truth as dew fall to the flower, is this wild wrath and this implacable scorn? For every pang, new beauty and new power. Burning blood red shall on thy heart be born. Stand like a beaten anvil. Let earth's wrong beat on that iron and ring back in a song.
We are the song. The powers that be are the hammers. The anvil is the arena in which we wrestle with those who would silence truth. We look forward to seeing you tomorrow.